Why do pancakes always win at baseball? Because they have the best batter. Turn with me to Psalm 59. I gave you two chances there. Psalm 59. <clears throat> and I want to just conclude with, or begin with something I should have concluded with last week. Keep your finger there and turn to Matthew 23. And the last two weeks, the first, uh, the first message in that series was 1 Thessalonians 2 on the Antichrist and um, what to look for in its connection with Israel and um, <clears throat> why Israel will be the center stage and really is today, for that matter. Uh, <clears throat> last week, we looked at the 12 major events in the tribulation period and uh, all centered around really Israel. And uh, we just mentioned a few of the, most of them, but we got into three of them. And uh, the one in Revelation 12, where the woman represents Israel, the male child represents Christ, the dragon represents Satan. In the symbolism, of course, Satan wanted to, destroy the woman, and devour the child. And uh, the reason, I'm going to say it again, the reason anti-Semitism is, uh, is so rampant, has been for a long time, uh, and, and by the way, it's creeping up in our own country, if you've noticed the last few days all over the place. And uh, the one who is behind that is Satan. Revelation 12 shows that, and of course, going all the way back to Genesis, and you can see it all the way through history, that anti-Semitism is satanically induced. And uh, so uh, we looked at that, and until, until Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, uh, Israel will be up against it for a long time. I'm so thankful that they haven't been able to do what they wanted to do. Satan and his emissaries push Israel into the sea and be done with it. They can't do it. Do you know why they can't do it? First guess is because God's in charge. And because of God's redemptive, purchase, uh, redemptive purpose came through, uh, came through uh, Israel. Abraham, Isaac, all the way through Judah, all the way to Christ. <clears throat> and uh, Satan is against God's program, you know that. So it's satanically induced, and you can sure tell that by what happened to start this thing in the invasion. But here's something I meant to close with, didn't get to. I want you to know God's heart. Because Israel hasn't done everything perfect. And there's been several, and neither have you, by the way, neither have I. You know, whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chastens. You and I, he loves us too much to let us go. And there have been times in history where, where God had to chasten Israel. <laughs> but this is God's heart in the matter. Are you in Matthew 23? 
this goes along with last week. So if you weren't here last week, it probably doesn't seem to to uh, fit. But Matthew 23, and then verse 37, and 38 and 39. Jesus was overlooking Jerusalem, and this is what he said. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Here's the sad part. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, ye shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> when Jesus said, How often I would have gathered you under my wings, you know who's talking there? It's God, because Jesus is God. And so the Lord's heart uh, is revealed. How often I would have gathered you. And that's some of the reason why I used to tangle with some of my hyper-Calvinistic friends who, uh, who were trying to tell me that man does not have a free will. You looked at that and tell me that whose fault was, was that? It was man's free will. You would not. You were not willing. Anyway, so Psalm 59, I want to talk about something that happened many years ago. I had fellowship. We, Carol and I had fellowship uh, while we were in college um, with a lot of married students. We were visiting one couple one, one night, and we were talking about prophecy. And uh, this woman said, I don't even want the Lord to come in the rapture because I have small children. What's going to happen to them? I was stunned. You know, I mean, I mean, do you think God is going to leave babies in the cradle uh, all by themselves come off it? And, uh, but this, this was a fear uh, in her heart. And God never meant for any Christian to fear his return. We should look forward to it. There are a lot of things that can bring fear into our life and rob you of the song that every Christian has. Colossians 3.16 talks about the song. But let's read the text today in, in um, <clears throat> Psalm 59, verse 16. Now, you got to remember, David was running for his life here. Saul, <coughs> excuse me, Saul was waiting for him to kill him uh, over a long period of time. And uh, David, David uh, was, uh, but, you know, through all the fear uh, of that, he still had a mighty trust. And so, uh, as I said here in your opening paragraph, even though a believer has a song to sing, when we pass through trials and afflictions, it can become difficult to sing it. And some are tempted to give up. Never happened to you? I don't know of anybody that hasn't gone through deep waters. I've never met somebody that's been around long enough on this earth and who's known the Lord still 
have gone through some kind of deep waters. Everybody's different and all that. But I, I'm here to tell you that when God gives you the song of redemption in your heart when you're saved and you know it and you begin to learn about his power and his faithfulness and all that, uh, you, you may be tempted through circumstances not to sing that song in your heart. But David, David knew something that we all need to be reminded of today in the light of the times in which we live. Okay, verse 16. <clears throat> David said, but I will sing of your power. Yea, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. You know how he starts this psalm? Verse 1, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and, and save me from bloodthirsty men. Verse 2, for look, they lie in wait for my life. So, But by the time the, song, the psalm is over, there are three things I want you to remember today. In these last days, I believe that we're living, and uh, there may be some really tough times ahead. But number one, David expected to sing of God's power, of God's power. David, David knew of God's power. <clears throat> By the way, he had the witness of creation. He had the witness of the flood. He had the witness of the exodus. For you and I, we have the witness of the resurrection of Christ. We know that God has awesome power. So here's the next thing that's called a principle to live by. Are you ready? God's power is greater than our problems. You say, easy to say. Well, it's not easy to say because I don't like saying things I don't believe. I do believe that. But in the dimness of the battle, there are times that we kind of tend to forget that once in a while. God's power is greater than our problems. The believer must keep this truth in his heart if we're going to be successful in our Christian walk. Now, here's what David did. Are you ready? David could remember powerful deliverances in the past. Now, we're not going to do it, but in 1 Samuel 17, most of you know about Goliath. But, uh, in fact, you can write down in those little uh, notes, the sheep and also Goliath. But remember, when David was going to face Goliath and everybody was laughing at him, and uh, he reminded them that when he was a shepherd boy, that a bear attacked the sheep and he went after the bear and delivered the lamb and slew the bear. And that didn't happen just once. There was a lion that did the same thing. David reminds them. He knew that God was bigger than Goliath. How many times in pastoral ministry uh, I've talked to people who had Goliaths in their life and they were be, being ruled by Goliath instead of the power of God. And... <clears throat> That's this next, these next two statements, okay? Memory enables us to draw on God's faithfulness. 
What do we mean by that? I challenge you right now to think back in your life on God's faithfulness. I mean, just think back of what God has done in your life. Can you think of times when God showed his faithfulness in times and tough times? I bet all of you can. Memory helps us to remember what God did. <laughs> I remember when my daughter Jenny was born at home in a blizzard in Wyoming. I was a senior in Bible college. It started snowing in the morning and snowing and snowing. It was March 27, 1975, and snowing and snowing. So my wife said, guess what? I'm having labor pains. And uh, I looked out and I tried to find my car. And it was, I could see the, I could see the top of the car. It was a Dodge Coronet. Couldn't see the doors, the hood. It had snowed and blowed that much. Terrible Wyoming blizzard. One of them spring jobs that they get. And I was praying, God, help this to be false labor. And um, it wasn't long when my wife said, this is not false labor. So uh, I was getting desperate. She told me there's a nursing book on the shelf in the library. Get it. And I said, ah. So I began trembling and uh, wondering if how this was going to work out, if my wife would be okay with my newborn baby, would she be all right? And at that time, I didn't know she would be a she. But how I remember that terrible day and night. And uh, by the way, we learned the next day that we were on Paul Harvey News. That whole story was, you remember Paul Harvey? He always ended his program by saying, good day. And anyway, so it was quite a story. I'm not going to go into it all now. Uh, but they finally, after burying three or four uh, vehicles, the doctor and anesthesia, okay, Dan, how do you pronounce it? Anesthesia. The guy that does it is the... Oh, that's hard. Anyway, he got there first, and uh, they had buried a four-wheel drive about four miles from the place, but then by the time they were picked up by an actual big state snowplow, he had frostbite here. And uh, so he got there uh, in the nick of time, and the doctor got there. And I was so nervous by that time, I put an electric coffee pot on a burner on a, you know, flames, gas stove, the one that our president loves, you know, the gas stove. And uh, so we got that off of there. And then I was by my wife's side in the bedroom, and he had all the instruments laid out and and his stuff. He, he said, I need some, I don't remember what he said, clean towels. I don't know what it was. 
And I said, I'll get him. So I jumped up and I kicked the 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 uh, chair where he had all his sterile instruments were. So he didn't quite do it, but he was tempted to take me by the ear and set me down someplace. But I was so scared that night. I remember that. And I, I had been a, a believer about five years by then. Yeah, 1970, 1975. So I knew that God, God was in control, but I was really scared. I was trembling. But as I look back on that, I thought how faithful God was. I've looked up back on many things since then. That God was faithful and brought us through. So memory enables us to draw on God's faithfulness. You think back of when you were scared to death. Or you were in a situation where you were so sad your heart was ready to break in two. Maybe you lost a loved one. I don't know. But God brought you through, didn't he? Now, memory enables us to draw on God's faithfulness. Faith enables us to expect God to come through. Memory is one thing. Faith is another. Just think of what Psalm 34, 19 says. Let me read it for you. <clears throat> it says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Does that mean sometimes God doesn't bring us home through a a tragedy, of course, he's got the sovereign right to do that and to take us home. Uh, but that's where trust comes in. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And uh, those, are, those are important statements. Now, you don't have this in your notes. You can write it if you want. Psalm 56.3 has been a challenge to my own life. It says this, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's Psalm 56.3. When I'm afraid, I will trust. Uh, so the last statement on the, underneath number one, the Christians should stop trembling and start trusting. So he also expected to sing of God's timing, verse 16. And uh, he says, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning and the reasons why. So David knew God has a time for all things. Now you can look at it yourself sometime, but in Acts chapter 7, <coughs> excuse me, Verses 9 and 10, it's the story that Stephen was relating, again, the story of Joseph. Joseph was put in prison for standing for what's right against what Potiphar's wife wanted to do. So we find out that Joseph was in prison over two years, over two years for doing what was right. The example of Joseph. God had a time for all things. God could have delivered him out of prison the very first day, the very first year, but it was two years, a little over. And it was perfect timing for Pharaoh's dream and the exaltation of Joseph, and you know the rest of the story. But check out these two tremendous truths for every believer to keep in mind. 
and I'll read them for you. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17 says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So whatever you're going through, God is working through that. Verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are seen are, are not seen are eternal. So here's two things to keep in mind. There is a time limit to suffering. And secondly, God has eternal purposes for bringing us through those times. I would rather not go through difficult times and trials and heartbreaks and things that stretch my faith. I, I would love to have it smooth, but that's not the plan. God, from time to time, will bring the trials our way to perfect us, to help us to trust Him more. I have a series called uh, Understanding the Winds of Adversity. And in that series, I list 18 biblical, not my personal thoughts, biblical reasons why God allows adversity in the life of the believer. If you still don't have a pastor by the new year, maybe I'll look into bringing something like that. Anyway, I still pray that you get a you get a a pastor, uh, and I pray that with mixed feelings. We've grown to love you guys so much. We know we're going to hurt a little bit when that time comes, but we know that's what you need, and we keep praying, uh, you know, that God will show. But He has a time for all things. Number three, not only did David expect to sing of God's power, he expected to sing of God's timing, he expected to sing of God's strength. Again, look at that, Psalm 59, <clears throat> verse 17. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. There are several reasons why a Christian can lose his song, or leave his song. It's just like Revelation, when the Ephesian believers in chapter 2 of Revelation, they left their first love. They did not lose their first love. It was a purposeful leaving, and God had to discipline them to bring them back. Sometimes we leave the song of redemption that God has put in our heart. <clears throat> but David was going to remember to sing about God's strength, okay? David believed that God's strength was stronger than our situation. And the question is, do you? Is God's strength stronger than our situation? Have you reread the six great questions of Romans 8? Would you like me to point them out again? Okay, if you insist. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. I call this the six great questions. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? In the light of all the doctrinal truth about the believer and his position in Christ and what Christ has provided and promised, in the light of that, what shall we say to these things? 
Question two, found in verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Gonna have to scratch your head there, but not very long. If God is for you, and he is because you're his by redemptive purchase, who can be against you? Question three, found in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Yeah, it's a no-brainer. If he gave the best he had through his son Jesus Christ on the cross, these other things that we need in life, why in the world would he withhold them? Question number four. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is going to point the finger against God's people? Again, you are his by redemptive purchase. Who will bring a charge against you because you belong to him? It is God that justifies. That's just a little reminder. Question 5, verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and further is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Are you glad for that today? The Lord is praying for you. Who's going to lay something against you that is greater than the prayer of your Redeemer for you? I mean, it's just... And finally, question number six. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> then he asks all those questions. Hmm? Are you persuaded? So here's the best way. Here's the best way. Now I said he expected to sing of God's strength, and that's the truth, that David believed that God's strength was stronger than our situation. The best way is faith brings a song before deliverance arrives. You can see that in action when you read at your leisure, Acts 16, 23 through 25, when Paul and Silas were beaten without a trial, Put in prison, by the way, prisons back then did not have color TV and carpet, gymnasiums, and three square meals a day. It was a hole in the ground. There were rats running all over the place. They were in stocks. They were in chains. What they do? They started singing at midnight and praising God, and the prisoners heard it. And the Philippian jailer heard it and it led to his salvation and his family. Because by faith they had a song. They sang that song. While even before God delivered them. I tell you, that, that took faith. But David expected to sing of God's strength. Sing of his power, his timing, and his strength. I encourage you. In these last days, when you see, now we see activity in the north on Israel. I told you what Hamas means in, in Hebrew last week. Do you remember that? 
Somebody bless my heart and say, I remember. Even the word Hamas in Hebrew means violent. And uh, there's more of that in the north with Hezbollah. And uh, Russia and Iran have been closer than they've ever been. That's predicted in the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. This is much different than the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur of 60, 1967, the War of Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement in 1973. Much different. I think there are a lot of clues now about where we're at in God's timetable. But in the midst of that, you and I could not, have, not, not live in fear. No, not tremble. But trust and rejoice in the time that we live in and sing the song of redemption. Final verse, Psalm 46, 1. Quote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help when in trouble. Write it down, Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Well, we're going to sing a song called I'll Sing of My Redeemer. And especially the third verse that talks about when we're in tight spots, the song will still be there. So I invite you to stand and sing as we sing of our Redeemer. <laughs> 